Welcome to Notes from the Field, presented by Canon Press and Noeo Science. For all your homeschool science needs, be sure to check out noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com. N-O-E-O science.com. All right, well, here we are. Good to be here with you, Gordon. Good to be with you, Will. Yeah, welcome everybody to Notes from the Field. And today we're talking about uh, a rather remarkable, really incredible behavior that lots of animals display during the course of the typically the annual cycle. And it's just a, we're going to get into a little bit of uh, some, some case studies, look at some creatures that display this activity. And the way I like to pose this to some of my students is, what are you going to do when the food runs out? And if you're an animal, if you're not, if you're not a human with, with our remarkable brains and we can construct civilizations and, and control our food supply and barns, control our store food. ambient temperature. Yeah. All that good stuff. What are you going to do when the weather goes bad and the food supply goes away? What are your options as an animal? And this is definitely an interesting one of them. And that, that one we're talking about is hibernation. Yeah. The other option is migration. Hibernation or migration. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, move out of Dodge if it's uh, inclement weather. Yep. But uh, yeah, hibernation is an amazing, amazing process. We often put words to things. And sometimes once we know the word and sort of what it means, it sometimes takes the wonder out of it. But we shouldn't let words, we shouldn't think, oh, I know that hibernation we should go wow i bet there's a lot to this there's is what a lot we should to say it. Yeah. yeah what creatures out there even perform this and i think i think a lot of us in north america probably always think about bears mm -hmm. but there are across taxa an incredible number of mm -hmm. uh, of vertebrates and maybe maybe invertebrates i'm not sure that uh, that hibernate in some form or another oh yeah yeah and so this is an interesting idea this um, and maybe you have a, a definition uh, for us here, reduced metabolic activity, right? That's, mm -hmm. a, that's kind of a phrase that comes up when you talk about hibernation. So those yeah. things that are signs of you being alive are diminished. Right. Your heart rate, your, your temperature. Body temperature. There's distinctions. There's an, another word that biologists use for reptiles uh, or other cold-blooded animals. And that's brumation, and they sort of reserve the word hibernation for mammals okay. when they uh, reduce their activity during uh, the cold period, the winter. But uh, as I told you, I, I use brumation, hibernation interchangeably, but some people are very fussy about what words go with what groups of animals. Right. So we're talking about a phenomenon that is limited to the temperate and polar regions and Probably not in equatorial regions, maybe in high mountain equatorial right. regions. Estivation is another word that is similar, reduced metabolic activity, sort of a shutdown during either dry or hot weather. So it's, it's kind of like hibernation, except it's not this big drop. Yeah. We usually reserve hibernation, brumation with wintertime, whereas estivation can be the, the dry season or very hot. Different environmental stimuli can trigger 
this period of dormancy. Mm-hmm. So dormancy is kind of a term Catch that- Catch all. Yeah, that catches a lot of it here. We can even talk about plants once we start talking about dormancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, uh, tell me about a critter and and uh, and some of the, I guess, remarkable aspects of this process for for our listeners here. Yeah. Well, as you know, reptiles and mammals are quite different. I'll let you take the the mammals, but the reptiles will, when they're active. There's a, a couple strategies is to either match, match the temperature, thermal conformers, and they stay active whether they're warm or lukewarm or somewhat cold. And it's amazing their range of activity. But at a certain point, they can't generate their own body heat like mammals or birds can. So it gets down. They have to go to a place, usually underground, cracks and crannies underground, getting away from the frost line, getting below the frost line so they don't freeze, and their body temperature drops, drops, drops. And essentially, it's the equivalent of having your pilot light on. It's like- Oh, I like that analogy. That's great. your, Your metabolic rate is down to almost nothing. Basically, the pilot light, just keeping the, the, a, a little dim flame of the spark life. of, yeah, yeah the yeah. spark of light, it's going, but they're huh. sort of insensible to the world. And because they're super cold, their metabolic requirements are very diminished. Yeah. Uh, so they can live on very little energy for months and months. And, Reptiles, of course, in temperate regions and amphibians are masters of, of this. Mm. Again, we can be more specific and call it brumation, but hibernation's fine. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, uh, I've talked about box turtles a lot. That was what I did my dissertation on, but it wasn't having anything to do with uh, hibernation. It was uh, reproductive ecology. But I particularly like the eastern box turtle because they're one of the the turtles that, um, there's a few others, that are freeze tolerant. So not only do they hibernate, they try to get below the frost line, but they, they sometimes don't succeed. Hmm. And their body is designed, I'd like to emphasize that word. Their body was designed to produce an antifreeze. Okay. Yeah. And the antifreeze uh, in the box turtle is glucose and it is manufactured and high levels of glucose are in the cell. So the glucose acts as sort of an antifreeze to keep the intracellular, the inside of the cells from freezing. Right. So Ice Which, crystals don't go, aren't forming inside the cells. Exactly. But outside the cells, between cells, in the interstitial spaces, in the body cavities, in all of the cracks and crannies between the organs. It can actually ice up it in It ices up. That is incredible. <laughs> it really does ice up. Wow. And various studies have been done. They found that box turtles, 58 percent of their body water is ice. So over half of their body is ice. 
Oh my goodness. And their heart stops. Their heart actually stops. Yes. I mean, oh stops completely. So in, in some sense, this is like death. <laughs> yeah. This is how, this is how surgeons learn to do organ transplants. I mean, this right? is like science fiction. Wow. I mean, Han Solo all over again, <laughs> frozen in carbonite, um, except it's not carbonite. It's just frozen. And then when things warm up, the ice thaws and their heart starts back up again. Now, this is just mind-boggling. Um, this is not just the box turtle, painted turtles. And I think they'll find that a number of other reptiles, they just haven't tested all of them. Yeah. Especially ones in high latitudes, garter snakes, uh, the common garter snake, uh, Thamnophis sertalis, can freeze. They can be above water. They can be below water. Some, it's amazing. Some of the snakes, it's a, I mean, yeah, they're somewhat aquatic or semi-aquatic, but some of these garter snakes can be underwater and, you know, spend the winter underwater. Uh, some freeze again, like the box turtle, uh, the wood frog. Mm -hmm. I mean, wood frogs have been known. Again, you can't just take a wood frog in the middle of summer and freeze it. Right. It'll die. Uh, it has to slowly progress into the winter and build up that either glycerol or glucose yeah. and, and generate that antifreeze inside their cells. So that's a real neat strategy. Yeah. I remember, uh, I wrote about this in an answers article. You can look it up called Frozen Alive. Okay. It was talking about the box turtle and... Uh, you just look on Answers Magazine online. It's an archive issue. And um, I tell a story about a friend of mine who had brought a box turtle for me out to Idaho way back when I was in junior high, high school. And when winter came, I decided, okay, I'll let it be outside. So I, I buried it in leaves and it, it, it dug down a little bit, just carved a nice little form in, in the dirt so that the top of the shell was equal with ground level. And I piled leaves on and then on a tarp. That's about, that's it. Mm -hmm. That winter, Moscow got brutally cold. It doesn't usually get this cold, but that winter got down to 30 below. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I thought, oh, Waldo, Waldo's a goner. Waldo pepper is, <laughs> is toast because I know that Maryland winters aren't that cold. Yeah. And, and so he'd, he'd I, this been was, forced to migrate. <laughs> yeah. Forced to, yeah. Forced to migrate. And I gave him a brutal winter for starters. And, uh, uh, I unearth him when the first lovely spring day, I, pull back the leaves and I see his shell and I'm thinking, okay, he's a, he's sort of a, going to be rotten and dead. And I touched his shell and I, I he rocked. Oh, cool. He, his shell rocked. And I just, I was ecstatic and pulled him out and he was fine. That's awesome. And, and he was barely underground. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Great. That's incredible. So tell me, tell me some animals and, uh, yeah, the one I know there are some birds too. Yeah, so hibernating birds. No, you're gonna you're gonna have to teach me on those. Okay. I'm, uh, they're not coming to mind. The one, okay. the, my, I, I kind of have a one track mind when I think of hibernation because it was such a a meaningful um, 
first experience with any type of animal project. Mm -hmm. uh, so freshman year in college, went away to, to Wisconsin to uh, not the UW-Madison, but a smaller uh, UW in Stevens Point. And my advisor and mentor was Kent Hall. And he, was, uh, he studied the hibernation physiology of 13-lined ground squirrels. And so I was lucky enough to, that he hired me to work in his uh, lab. And basically that meant cleaning out uh, the little containers of uh, food and, and wood chips and water dishes for each of the ground squirrels in his lab in the colony. Okay. So he went out during the summers and would trap these uh, ground squirrels on uh, golf courses mainly. And this is probably one of the most common ground squirrels in the interior of North America, mm -hmm. Great Plains up into, into Canada. Right. Yeah. And so my job was to, uh, to clean them up, make sure they were fed and watered. And if they escaped, uh, to run after them, grab them, put them back in. But then finally got interesting uh, when we induced hibernation. And so as you alluded to, uh, this is a process that takes a little time, you, you know, and it's built, it's designed that way. The process is designed that way, that all of these things are happening in nature. The temperature's going down, the food supplies are dwindling. There are some other ecological types of uh, processes that are happening that So are, is this in the lab? He's reducing the temperature? Yeah. So we, we reduced, we put these guys in a big walk-in cooler. Okay. And then slowly reduce the temperature. Um, and, then, and then they were fully in hibernation. And so we went in in the middle of winter and actually tossed one back and forth just kind of uh, just for fun. What temperature was the cooler? Uh, I'm trying to remember how cold it was. And they were rock solid. So they felt like a, they felt like a little brick. So it, it was definitely sub-freezing. Uh, but in what the, was their, were they doing antifreeze too? I, so I do not think that they do antifreeze. I'm not aware of that in mammals. Yeah, but I know, I, that, I know that the hoary, no, the alpine marmot can get a body temperature of 37. Okay. Yeah. So that's I, just I assume, barely, yes, five degrees above freezing, but so I'm these, just wondering if it's rock solid, does it mean ice or, or just- I think it just meant very, very cold. You know, <laughs> there wasn't any fluid movement at all virtually. Uh, so I, I, and it's, a lot of this is going to be anecdotal because it's right, been a you while. Don't, yeah. You don't know whether- what's going on exactly right. physiologically. And they, and they do hibernate, they, you know, they dig down beneath the frost line uh, in, their, in kind of their traditional hibernation grounds on these, on these uh, mm -hmm. golf courses in the Midwest. But yeah that, yeah, that was my introduction to hibernation. So you're um, throwing them around and they're just keeping the same position. Same position, no movement at all. Yep. And then gently take them out of that, that hibernation, kind of uh, reverse the temperature um, and he studied their, he studied their metabolic, um, attributes. He studied some of their, uh, endocrinology. Um, and also one of the most interesting studies he did, I have a, a paper, uh, from, I think it's like 1986 or something. And this is talking about the influence of diet on initiating hibernation. And okay. so, so like so many other phenomena in the natural world, and especially involving living creatures, it's never, a you know, rarely is there a silver bullet or rarely is the, there's an A that causes B all by itself. Right. It's almost always a variety of factors. Mm -hmm. We live in a dynamic, complicated world. And so uh, this experiment was testing um, whether, there were, uh, whether there was a relationship between the onset of hibernation and, and weight gain. 
Okay. And so um, they they were looking at three different populations of ground squirrels, seeing how fat they got, and seeing if that weight uh, gained uh, led to an earlier onset of of hibernation. Hmm. And it it seemed yeah. to, it seemed okay. to in their study. So I I think that's interesting. So my question. I wanted to come back to you uh, with the box turtle or any other creature that you've been studying up on or, or reading about. Are there, in the reptile world, is this idea of storing up fat for winter uh, something that we can attribute to mm. all creatures that hibernate? Or is that mostly mammals? Well, they, or? they definitely, I mean, if they're above freezing, there's going to be, like I said, the pilot light going on. They have to have something given that. Yeah, and so the spark of life, and you just can't, run life on nothing. Right. So there's got to be some uh, energy reserves. It's interesting, my rubber boa, my pet rubber boa is in the lab in a terrarium. And because it's wild or I, uh, somebody, a friend of ours caught it as a baby, but it's still got the annual rhythm. And so even though it's indoors, it still has got this biological clock. So come around fall, my rubber boa, even though I offer it some mice, it won't eat. So it goes into, it thinks it's supposed to be in hibernation, yeah. even though it's not because wow. it's, it's not cold. Well, the lab's sometimes cool, but it, it doesn't get below 60. And it's, it, it, and there's no, no sunlight. It moves around and yeah, there's no sunlight. So it doesn't have a photo period that it's taking cues from. Yeah. And so this snake just stops eating from early fall to April. Wow. And I'm just thinking this is, he's not even hibernating. I mean, he's still moving around the cage. So is he going to eat up all of his food reserves, all of his stored food, and then not make it? And sure enough, around April, I offer him a mouse and boom. He's ready. He's ready. But, you know, there were times where I even had the heat pad in there all winter long. So you'd think, okay, he's burning his calories, right. but he just he just lives off the fat. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's not a... Right now, it's not a big snake. It's, you know, 18 inches long, and it doesn't look like it's fat. And I'm like, how in the world does he live off of, you know, the stored fat? Yeah. And It'd be fun to... And so, and so there's some direct ac- application for, for families at home. If you have a pet, you know, watch for, watch for hints of an annual cycle. Is this creature act a little bit different? In the winter, is it is it not eating yeah. as much as it as it does in the summer? Maybe yeah. even might be fun to weigh them, yeah. to s- see what well, they that, weigh. That's in what the I spring should do fall. is uh, look at any weight loss. Yeah, how much weight loss in the rubber boa during his fasting? Right. Um, the corn snake I have He's just super spiritual. He's just uh, fasting right. for a really long right, period right. of time. The corn snake it was captive bred, so this annual cycle is sort of bred out. So. The corn snake just will eat all winter. So, so uh, you know, in my mind, in, in thinking about um, these different types of, of reduced metabolic activity, we can kind of broadly call things dormancy, and then we have hibernation kind of on the far end. Is it fair to put something like sleep on the far other end, or, or is sleep a different category altogether? Should, is, that, is that mixing too much up? Uh, yeah, I, I would say it serves a different purpose. Okay. 
Yeah. Sleep. It's not environment. It's not an environmentally or not. It's an, circadian. It's, it is circadian. And but daily. Daily. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's, uh, that's also mysterious. Do they dream, do these things dream in hibernation? Do bears dream in hibernation? Or is it so shut down that there's nothing? Yeah. I, I don't know these. So maybe on the far left side of this, the spectrum might be something like torpor. Right. Yeah, which we and, see a lot of creatures do this almost daily. Uh, some creatures right. go into this daily reduced metabolic state uh, because they're so small oftentimes. I think mm -hmm. I think typically think of hummingbirds. Well, yeah, hummingbirds do the torpor. Yeah. Because uh, during their night, they can't feed and their metabolic rate is so high, they would starve to death. <laughs> the like busy little snack. guys. Yeah, they can't <laughs> snack all night. So they just lower their metabolic rate um, for the, the night. Yeah. But one bird I just read about is the poor will. Oh, yeah. And they, they actually hunkered down. True, true hibernation of yeah, sorts. Yeah, true hibernation of sorts. Wow. I don't know if they call it torpor, but yeah, they uh, hunkered down on, a, on the bark of a tree uh, or in a little cleft of the rock and just turn off. How long is that? The, uh, the, I don't know. Several months. Winter, period of several time. months. Now, is that com is, um, I'm, you, you've piqued my curiosity. This. I, this sounds a little bit familiar. Uh, do other members of that group? So this would be like the a relative of the whippoorwill, yeah. relative of the common nighthawk. Yeah. Any other uh, of those? Uh, that frog are, mouths. Any other of them do this hibernation? Well, is a frog mouth in that same? So family? frog mouth would be kind of a generic term for uh, goat suckers or frog mouths. Would be are the they group, in the whippoorwill? I think that's the broader group name. Okay. Yeah. But there are some tropical species that are called this type of goat sucker or mm -hmm. yeah, frog mouth. Yeah. They're but weird they're creatures. they're in the whippoorwill They're all in that group, same, yep. same, same group. Same group. Generally. Yeah, they look kind of like the Very same. broad mouths, insectivorous. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's interesting. Yeah. Because, uh, you know. Normally I, you don't think of birds hibernating. I would but, think this guy would migrate, but he's. Uh, yeah. That's, he wants to that's save his strength. It's like some hiber uh, hibernate and some migrate. Yeah. Fabulous. Uh, and, and other vertebrates too, fish are known to, uh, fish are known to, uh, be able to produce some, um, antifreeze, uh, such as glucose, mm -hmm. um, and survive yeah. the winter in these, in these, uh, lakes that freeze. Yeah. Um, it's a remarkable process. And as you pointed out, this is, you know, this is a well thought out, perfectly thought out and, and not, not like we think things out. Right, God spoke right. it and it came into existence. Right. It was perfect at the onset. Yeah, and they don't have to think about doing this. Just like all of our bodily functions, we don't have to think about it. Yeah, we know what to do. Yeah. We were created to do that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, just another uh, thought on some of the aquatic turtles that are in sort of this hibernation, brumation down at the bottom of a pond. They um, they're spending all winter long not breathing air, <laughs> but there's, there's still, there's still a, a low level of metabolism, but they're ice cold. They, they don't freeze because they're under the ice, you know, it's still liquid water. So, but their, their, their met metabolism's really, really low. And of course the water's super cold and cold water 
holds more oxygen. Mm. Okay. Yep. And a cold body requires less of it. So it's a nice balance. You got more oxygen in the water and less of a demand for it. So these turtles that are hunkered down in the mud down at the bottom can slowly suck water in to their mouth and use the mouth lining as a gill. Wow. So like a, like a salamander. Yeah. Well, wow. salamanders use their body. Yeah. The whole body surface as a, a gill. It's called cutaneous re respiration. Yeah. And they're taking in, um, oxygen right through their body surface. But here, turtles, they can breathe somewhat through their skin, but not much. And there's, there's some reptiles that can breathe through their skin. But here, buccal respiration means mouth respiration. And so they bring in the cold water, extract the oxygen out of it. The oxygen diffuses into their bloodstream. Carbon dioxide diffuses out through their mouth lining and out. Now, when you're in the bottom of a pond, water's not circulating very well. And so if you're in this little pocket in the bottom of the pond, the water around this turtle can get pretty anoxic. Mm -hmm. I mean, because he's Used using up, up he's using up all the oxygen. Right. And it's not circulating nicely. So and doesn't want to suffocate in this sort of oxygen-deprived pocket. Right. <laughs> so there's this, this built-in um, mechanism to sort of rouse itself, <laughs> saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not getting enough. The CO2 sensor's going off. Yeah, and, and he just pops up and swims over to another place and settles down so he can enjoy another wow. little fresh pocket Incredible. of oxygen. Yeah. So all these built-in mechanisms, evolutionists are quick to point out anything that they might see is imperfect. Can't think of anything in this case, but they're really quick to find imperfection. And from a creationist perspective, you know, we believe in the fall. And so there, there's going to be imperfections as things have all creation groans, you know. So, right. But as William Paley once said, if you find a watch and it doesn't tell time exactly, it's a little slower, a little fast, it doesn't diminish the fact at all that it was a designed thing. Right. There's still no doubt in your mind that it's designed, but evolutionists think if they can find any flaw, they think, oh, there's no God. I mean, that's kind of like saying, I found a, a car that doesn't run well, and therefore, there's no such thing as an automotive engineer. How, I mean, it's how like- would an evolutionary, <laughs> how, how would an evolutionary <laughs> biologist frame that uh, imperfection? What's kind of the typical- Well, they just think God, oh, God wouldn't, wouldn't design anything imperfect. Now, Chris, this is sort of a, a move that evolutionists do play on intelligent design people because intelligent design people can't say, well, the Bible says. Right. Now, they may be Christians, but their, their position is, I can't appeal to special revelation right. here because I'm, I'm saying it's all science. So they just say, it's design, it's design. And then the evolutionist just keeps pushing them. How come it's messed up? 
you're good, you're a wonderful God. Why, why do you? No, that's a really good. And, and then intelligent design, all they can say is it's designed, which it is. Right. Intelligent design is not a worldview. Right. Darwinism is, creation is. Intelligent design only tells you things are, we can empirically through good, solid, scientific uh, thinking come to the conclusion that things are designed, but it doesn't answer all the questions. Right. And uh, a worldview seeks to answer all the questions. William Paley was very comfortable saying it's obviously designed, but he doesn't appeal to scripture. I mean, he's a Christian. He was an Anglican deacon, archdeacon. He was obviously a Christian, but he was still just sticking with facts, and he didn't appeal to Scripture. Tried to and keep his worldview and theory separate. Uh, but your critique yeah. is a really apt yeah, one. And I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, that I'm happy with intelligent design. I'll wear right. an intelligent design hat, but I just want people to know that it's got limitations. Yeah. And uh, an intelligent design proponent's got one hand tied behind his back in a boxing match. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a good, that's a really um, good critique. And so that's helpful. That's why creationism, you can use intelligent design arguments, right? but you don't have to stick with their refusal, their constraints, their refusal to grab scripture right. and say, well, this is why things are imperfect. The fall. <laughs> <laughs> right. The fall. <laughs> Man sinned. God <laughs> cursed the creation. You can't say that if right. you're an ID guy and you're playing by the rules that you've imposed on yourself. Right. And you've imposed them on yourself simply because you're thinking, well, if I appeal to any kind of scripture, you know, the evolution is going to throw a flag on me. Right. Foul. Right. You know, illegal procedure. Yeah. 15 yard penalty. Yeah. Um, yeah, good discussion for another mm. time. There's a couple of yeah, books. Yeah, I sort of got off the rails No, I like there. that one. Uh, let's, let's remember that uh, there's a new book coming out, and I have some questions about it because I think it's, I think it's, a, uh, it's a, by an intelligent design guy, and it sounds like he might be not playing by those same constraints anymore. So I'm curious as to see how his, his effort goes well, and, yeah, where, and where is, it goes. I've noticed that ID people, they say, you know, hey, we're not going to, mess with the intramural debates about age of the earth and blah, 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 blah. Right. Yet, you know, if a creationist is sort of wearing their ID hat, they'll, they'll usually try to play by the rules. But ID people often don't. They'll assume an old earth in a lot of their argumentation. I'm saying, okay, that's your business, believing in old earth, but you're not playing by the rules. Yeah. If you want this big tent that Phil Johnson's talking about, where creationists and ID guys, young earth, old earth, everybody can kind of rally round and join forces to fell the great giant, Darwinism, naturalism, then we shouldn't be uh, appealing to our particulars. Yeah. And ID is often implicitly, if not explicitly, old earth. Right. You look at privileged planet, right. great, a lot of great arguments with the anthropic principle, but there's still that old earth assumption, right. like tweet, 10-yard penalty. Yeah. If you want a big tent, stop this old earth stuff. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, we, should, we should go there in the future. So uh, any other birds that hibernate? The poor will. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go home and look it I'm up. I can't to wait to. Um, I saw one of those once in Texas, but I 
had no idea. I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. So maybe to, maybe to wrap up, so we have we have mammals, we have birds, birds, reptiles, reptiles and I'm sure insects. Amphibians. There's a lot of insects that that uh, either they go through the winter as a pupa yep. or an adult. You know, you wouldn't probably call the egg hibernation, but if it's got some development going on, I suppose. But yeah, a lot of insects, some stage of their life cycle, yeah, has to go through through this uh, dormancy of some sort. Fantastic. I wonder if any crustaceans. Uh, I wonder if crayfish. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that's Thanks, good, Gordon. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.